0: Today's podcast is brought to you by TheEngagedInvestor.ca, helping you find and present to joint venture partners. Get your free video training right now at EngagedInvestor.ca forward slash breakthrough. Hi, this is
1: Dion Begg from Butler Mortgage. We're currently ranked the number one mortgage brokerage in Ontario and
0: number two in Canada. And much of our success is due to the fact that we help clients acquire multiple investment properties. If you'd like to talk with a mortgage advisor who specializes in investment property, you can
1: reach me at 888-684-8326. To learn more about what's going on in the world of investment property financing, check out episode 23 of the Breakthrough
2: Podcast, where I discuss the topic with Robin Sandy. Breakthrough Real Estate Investing Podcast, episode 28.
0: Hello and welcome to the Breakthrough Real Estate Investing Podcast. We put this show together to inspire you and help you break through to the life that you want to live through the power of real estate investing. My name is Rob Brake and here with me again is Sandy McKay. Hey Sandy, what's going on? Hey Rob,
2: um, you know, same stuff. Just excited to get this out there, get another show produced and, you know, hopefully create some awesome content for our listeners.
0: I know we will, oh, yeah. and we have our guest on the line already, Suzanne Bemrose, and she is a paralegal from the Whitby area, but I guess you cover, what area do you cover, Suzanne?
1: Um, I cover Whitby, Durham, uh, Toronto. I travel as far as Burlington and Brampton as well.
0: That's great. Okay. And we're going to get to a interview with you in a couple of minutes but first i just want to mention that everyone can get our free gift on our new website which is finally up now the seven freedom activators that you can trigger in your property starting right now that's a free report that we have there for you and all you have to do is put in your email address and you will be sent that for free at breakthrough ca. and hey sandy the new site is finally up Wow, eh? It's been a while, and we had some problems with that, too, just like the Skype call that we were trying to get on for the last uh, 20 minutes here tonight. So I'm not sure. I didn't check recently, but one of our episodes was refusing to show up on the new site for some reason, but I think that's all worked out now, so everything should be up and running.
2: Well, by the time this is up, it better be.
0: Yeah, I hope so. This one's, Yeah. yeah. So what else do we have going on, Sandy?
2: I just closed on a property. We're doing some renovations there. That's exciting.
0: Sort That's of. in Hamilton, right? Yeah. The Okay, so that was the one that got delayed a bunch of times. Right?
2: Yeah, so there's not much to talk about yet. It's just exciting to finally be demoing some stuff. Just started that today actually. Not myself, but someone on our team here and uh yeah, you know, we'll probably talk about that later on.
0: Okay. And what are you doing? You're duplexing that place too, right?
2: Yeah, it's gonna be a duplex. Uh, it is a duplex, but it's not legal right now. We're gonna fix that, and um, yeah, and then bought it. We're gonna fix it up. We're gonna rent it out, and we're gonna refinance. And good hold it. stuff. Yeah.
0: Well, mine my deal is going well so far. the The one that we talked about on the last episode, which was so I bought a house to do a quick flip, and it was just a you know paint and paint and well paint and paint kind of thing I just basically bought the place painted it up and put it back on the market and it is sold conditionally right now so in a couple of days i they have to waive the conditions I'm sure that'll go fine but yeah because they got it at a good price I got it at a good price and so did the person buying it so I think everything's gonna go well and then I've lined up my next one for after that closes too so but I won't talk about that right yet either <laughs> There's a little too much going on here and I know uh we did something a little bit different too for this episode. I actually put it out there on Twitter and LinkedIn that Suzanne was coming on and I got a whole bunch of questions. So, we're going to do um just a little bit of an overview of the landlord tenant board, the residential Tennessee no, act. The <laughs>
1: residential act yeah.
0: And of, then uh great. we're going to get into a bunch of listener questions. So that should be fun, but I wanted to mention that we do have our contest going on. I know last summer we gave away that Bluetooth speaker, and Sandy, you were pretty mad when we had to ship it out.
2: Well, <laughs> that's true. I guess we're doing we're we doing summer giveaways now. I guess that's the theme. Last year, it yeah. in the summer.
0: Yeah, we've got this year. We've got some. Um, I won't be Arc- too
2: mad about these ones. I think this is awesome.
0: Yeah, because well, because you're all already a member. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. But um, this may not work for all of our listeners, but we do have two free tickets for a Durham Real Estate Investors meeting coming up this September, and they're in Whitby. But uh, I know there was – Quentin was asking how far the farthest person came from, and I believe it it was Windsor or something crazy like that, like a couple-hour drive. Yeah, it was pretty far away and well worth it. I thought it was like
1: four hours' drive, actually. It It was quite far.
0: Yeah, it was quite far.
2: I mean, I'm two hours on a when on a weekend evening to get there. That's why probably why I don't make it there as much as I'd like. But Hamilton's pretty tough. Windsor would be crazy.
0: Yeah. So I mean, these the they are well worth it. And I know anyone who gets to go there, especially if they're going there for free, but well worth the uh, price of admission because you know Quentin D'Souza, who we've had on the show a couple of times now. He's always got a ton of interesting stuff to share with everybody. And I've been an inner circle Duramari I member for two years, over two years now. And he always gets amazing people to come out. And like Julie Broad's spoke in there, Harry Stinson, Stefan Arnio, Tom Caradza, You know, the list goes on. He's always got great guests. And of course, Suzanne Bemrose, who uh, I met last month when we were both speaking there.
1: So that was a lot of fun. Awesome. Yeah.
0: That was your second time out to Durham it REI.
1: It I have been out there twice. I, I love Durham REI. I love watching the people help each other, and I love how they all want each other to be successful. And I think that's the heart of that group, and it's just wonderful to talk to everybody there and to be part of that on a, on a short-term basis, unfortunately, but just to be able to speak and help you guys become more successful.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, it is awesome. So if you're in the area, I encourage you to try and get a hold of these tickets. So what we're asking you to do is the same thing as last year, which was just leave us a review on iTunes and then shoot us an email saying, I reviewed it to info at breakthroughreipodcast.ca and put your iTunes name in the email as well. So we know who you are and then you'll be entered for the tickets. So that's awesome, and thank you very much, Quentin, for giving us those to uh, give out to our listeners.
2: Right on. Very cool.
0: And I know we have a couple other things we have to mention. Of course, everyone, even if they're uh, not in the area, should go over to iTunes and rate and review the show. You know, it does help us to get out there to as many people as possible, and we are growing a lot every every day. It was kind of funny. I was actually taken back when I was Speaking at Durham I and Quentin sort of interrupted me when I mentioned the podcast and he said, how many people have actually listened to it? And I, I I would say it's pretty close to half the room put their hand up. So that was pretty, pretty amazing for me anyways. And that was just the people that were there. So that was cool. Well, Rob, I was uh, at
2: an event today and a r- random person came up to me and asking me about it. And I had no idea who they were. They were, um, it was just a realtor event in Toronto. And this guy was getting his license, newer realtor. And he's an investor and, in Brampton. And he was asking me about the show and this and that. And yeah, out of nowhere. So it was cool. It's happening more and yeah. o- more, more, more often.
0: It's happening to me a little bit too. It's kind of funny. But uh, you know, of course, it's not just walking down the street. It's at a it's at a real estate event of some kind. But it's still kind of cool. Yeah. Um, so I guess that's about it. Okay. Well, would you? How about we get into the interview, everyone? Does that sound okay?
2: Let's do it. Sounds great.
0: Suzanne, like I said before, is a paralegal, and we're going to talk to her tonight about everything to do with uh you know tenant problems that can arise when you're renting out properties as most of us do who listen to this show so this is going to be really awesome and I've got a ton of questions from listeners like I said so would you just tell us a little bit about yourself and your business Suzanne please
1: Sure. I'm a paralegal. I'm licensed with the Law Society of Upper Canada, so uh, just like lawyers, but on a smaller scope of practice, we can give legal advice and we carry uh, errors and omissions insurance. I'm a partner at Bell & Legal, which is our company, um, and I practice in small claims court and landlord and tenant board. I became a paralegal about three years ago. I worked downtown in the Bay Street firms as an assistant to uh, large companies, a couple of large law firm firms as well as Merrill Lynch, and I wanted to be able to run my own business and I love landlord and tenant board. I love small claims. Usually they go hand in hand. The landlord and tenant board is a tribunal. Um obviously it deals with the Real Residential Tenancies Act and as a tribunal, it's a little bit more laid back, which I enjoy. I also enjoy small claims court too. I love doing trials. So, as I said, they usually go hand in hand. So if you have a jurisdiction jurisdictional issue where the tenant no longer lives in the unit and they have rent arrears, then that would go to small claims. So as I said, they go hand in hand and usually they're both landlord and tenant issues, but they're a lot of fun to do between tribunal hearings and trials.
0: Okay. Well, I guess I'll be calling you soon then. (laughs) Okay. Uh, What are some, uh, I'm kind of joking and kind of not. I can usually take care of things, (laughs) but uh, you know, you never know. What are what are some of the main reasons that a person would choose to use a paralegal instead of representing themselves?
1: Some landlords, they are hands-off in that process. Uh, they have too many rental units, so it's too time-consuming to do that themselves, and they would prefer to have someone take care of it for them. They just don't want to deal with it. They don't want to take the time to go to the board and do it themselves. Sometimes it's a, a travel issue. Uh, landlords Say, for example, if they live in Toronto and the tenant is out in Durham, they don't want to have to travel all the way to Whitby to deal with their own matters. So that's one of the reasons why people would hire a paralegal. Um, They also sometimes can be confused by the forms. Uh, If you have a notice and you have a fatal error on a notice and you go through and you do an application, you get all the way to the board, they'll just simply dismiss the application on the spot for the error being in the notice. And a lot of landlords don't want to take... The risk of having that happen so they just hire someone to do it for them those are two probably the main reasons um they can hire lawyers but the fees don't make sense to do that and it's not a lawyer thing they're not as familiar with the tribunal as paralegals are
0: and you know what i've always uh what i've also noticed is a couple of people that i know who are landlords when they go through this process they think that that's going to get them somewhere like i know one of the issues that I've seen a couple of people have is on the forms you have to write rent only in arrears. So I know a few people who have come to me and said, "Yeah, I, you know, I, I put the um, utilities on there as well, and then it gets thrown away, and you know, and that's a com- That's a pretty common thing for people to do, even though it says in bold lettering rent only." So that's something I just wanted to point out, too. Hopefully, that'll be helpful to some people here because that is, you know, they'll make you start over again.
2: Yeah, good point.
1: It does. They don't want the utilities on the N4, uh, which is your rent. Although, if you look at the definition, it does include utilities. So it can be very confusing for some people. They recommend that you do the utilities on the N5. But, again, it's a very iffy situation, utilities. Um, I have case law where the small claims court specifically said that utilities are to be dealt with by the landlord and tenant board, yet I have board hearings that say that utilities are supposed to be specifically dealt with by small claims court. So it it can be a very confusing process, and, and that is really, if you get an order or not, is really going to come down to what
0: adjudicator you have. Mm, okay. All
2: right, Suzanne, can you go over a few of the more important sections of the Residential Tenancies Act and and give us a bit of an overview?
1: Sure. So the Residential Tenancies Act is a piece of legislation that governs how landlords and tenants, they how their relationship continues. There's also regulations. On top of that, there's guidelines and rules that the Landlord and Tenant Board also uses. They're not mandated to be used. And as I said, they are guidelines and rules, but the board members usually do refer to them quite often. The Residential Tenancies Act, is, as I said, is legislation. It, it can be interpreted different ways, but there are some very interesting sections that I'm going to bring to your attention. For example, Section 12, um, where it says the tenant, you must, as a landlord, give the tenant a copy of a lease within 21 days after they signed it. And if you don't, then the tenant can rightly withhold rent. It's one of the very few times the tenants are allowed to withhold rent now, they do have to pay it once you give them that copy of that lease, but it just gives the tenant, I want to say, a right to demand a copy of the signed lease. Um, that's one that I find an interesting section that not a lot of people know. Section 26, it's 24-hour notice. A lot of people like to ask me questions about notice. One of the, because of technology changing, is it says it, written, it has to be written notice. I, I always find it interesting because When people think of written notice, they think, oh, they have to write it on a piece of paper, and they have to deliver it. But written notice now with technology can be an email, or it's even been acceptable as text. Text So if you have a history history of communicating with your tenant via text, and it's been commonly acceptable to the tenant from the landlord that written notice is given to them in the text – for example, I'm coming on July 10th at 10, between 10 and 12, 10 a.m. and 12 p.m. to fix that leaky pipe in your sink. And that has been acceptable as the tenant in the past two years. It will be found acceptable again. It's not recommended. Um, obviously, they want it in written. The more ironclad that a written notice is given, the better. But in the 24-hour notice, you do must specify the reason you're going in, the day and the time. And the time has to be between 8 a.m. and 8 p.m. And then there are different reasons you can enter the unit. You just can't obviously randomly enter a unit to a tenant. It has to be a reason for repair or maintenance or inspection. There's other different um, ones like mortgage inspectors and um, architecture um, that are also allowable.
0: Okay, well, that's, that's interesting. Now, what about to, um, to show the property for new tenants?
1: So if the tenants give like 60 days notice, they're leaving? Yeah. Yeah, still have to give it 24 hours notice.
0: Yeah, um, I know, it's the um, same thing though?
1: It's the same thing. You just have to give a reason. So your reason would be to show the, to show the unit and you're going to be you know, between 10 a.m. and 12 p.m. on Saturday, whatever.
2: Okay. So, Suzanne, I, I, so as a realtor, I run into this every day almost. Is tenants refusing entry even after getting the 24 hours notice? Yeah. Um, what's what am I to do about that or what is someone to do if they can't get in even though they've given the act if if they've given notice and their tenants are maybe home and they just won't let you in
1: every landlord is supposed to have a key and able to enter the unit so that if there's emergency they have are able to enter the unit if they they're physically stopping them there is fines the board can find the tenant but it You have to go through the the process of filing an application and saying that the tenant has done this. Um, But you have every right to enter the unit.
2: So if I were to just walk in, even though they're refusing, there's not much they can do, right?
1: There isn't. You've given your 24 hours, you've given it written, you've followed all the RTA guidelines or what they've asked you in the legislation to do. You have every right to enter that unit. As a landlord, you're responsible for that unit. You have to ensure its health and safety standards are met and the maintenance uh, is met. That's your obligation. And yeah. In order yeah. for you to do that, you have to be able to enter the unit to do those.
0: Okay. okay. Well, now you said as a realtor though, Sandy, So and and I did run into this problem just last week where um, I had tenants who I said, look, we've got show- – because I was selling a house. I said, look, we've got showings, um, you know, tomorrow at noon or whatever. And they and they say, yeah, yeah, sure, no problem. That sounds good. Well, okay, yeah, absolutely. And then the agent would show up at their client and there'd be a sign on the door saying, sorry, no showings today. <laughs> and then they'd just leave because I don't blame them for just leaving. Like who would walk in, right? So right. what what I what mean- – I
2: would walk
1: in. As long as the landlord <laughs> would is you? given the proper yeah. <laughs> 24-hour notice that there's a showing the next day, the reason, the time, the date, every, and follow those legislation standards, you're perfectly acceptable to enter the unit and to show it. So I if it's confirmed
0: through the real estate office with them, then that would be perfectly fine?
1: Correct. And yeah, so if the real estate agent called the landlord and said, I have a showing on Saturday, this coming Saturday, and the landlord was diligent and did all the process of the 24 hours written notice, then yes, the the real estate agent has every right to enter the unit and show it.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay, perfect. Uh, Is there any other points that you wanted to go over?
1: Um, Section 48 talks about personal use. I know this is always a hot topic with a lot of people. They... Personal uses mean that that either a purchaser, which I'm sure we'll talk about later, or uh, your own landlord can use it for their own purpose. It also can be given to a child or a parent. It cannot be given to a brother or sister. That does not fall in the personal use category. There's 60 days notice that has to be given for personal use. But um, It's a a popular question. It seems to be the go-to for people if they just want to get tenants out. There is also a section that allows a tenant to apply to the board after they've left for eviction on bad faith. So it has to be a relevant personal use and an affidavit has to be sworn uh, sworn and signed um, that would accompany that application with the board. And the board would have to order that the tenant would have to leave for that reason. That's always a hot topic. Um, Section 108 is the landlord cannot require any automatic payment. That includes post-dated checks. They, it's not allowed. So that's where we get into the discussion of, well, how does the tenant pay? E-transfer seems to be the popular one these days, um, as well as giving out your bank account number for the, the tenant to be responsible for directly depositing it into your account. Those are just some of the highlights of the RTI, I find, that are question, have, I get a lot of questions about.
0: Right, yeah. So they
2: are allowed to take the post-dated checks if they, if they want to pay that way, right? You're just not allowed to request only that way?
1: Correct. So if they offer them, um, you're more than welcome to accept them. But just know at any time they can request them back and you have to give them back.
2: Okay.
0: All right. right. Um, So that's it for the overview, I guess, is it? Yeah. Well, we've got a ton of of listener questions. We'll get into those. So let's see here. What's the first one? On.
2: On. Yeah, there you go.
0: That's right. Yeah. On uh, is asking, should there be a grace period for tenants who are late with the rent payments?
1: My answer is no. The Landlord and Tenant Board in their forms have built in a grace period of 14 days. If the tenant is responsible for rent on the 1st, I recommend that they serve an N4 on the 2nd because you can't even apply to the Landlord and Tenant Board for 14 days. It has to be the 15th day that you can file an application to uh, for rent arrears and eviction. So the landlord and tenant board has already built in a grace period. So I don't see why a landlord should give the tenant more of a grace period when they're going to have to wait the two weeks already. So if the tenant has been paid by the 15th day, that grace period is already passed and you can go forward with an application for uh, eviction based on rent arrears.
0: Exactly, and what happens is people people feel bad if they go and they give the um the form, but you know the way I always think of it is, look, this is my company policy, my company policy is to give this to you on the second day. now, if you pay within that time, then there's not going to be any issues, and there's no reason for anyone to you know get bent out of shape or anything like that. This is just a company policy, and I explain that to new tenants that's how it's done. Right from day one, so they're expecting it if they're late, and so but a lot of people, a lot of people feel bad, and they don't maybe treat their landlording like a business. It's more of a charity almost in some cases. I there's a lot of people that 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 treat it that way. Well, they get
2: but, emotionally involved, involved right?
0: Yeah. yeah,
1: I was to say it is a business. It's very much a business. Those same people would have no problems buying something from Walmart, and if it's broken, they would take it back in a heartbeat because it's money. It's business, and they need to treat their business of, land- of being a landlord the exact same way. There is an ample opportunity in that whole system of the N four for the tenant to bring the arrears up and discontinue that application. They have the fourteen days to pay the arrears. Once the landlord has filed the application, they have until the hearing to pay the arrears and the 170 to discontinue the application. Even after the order, like say I'm on the an, in the board on a Monday, it's going to probably take till a Friday for that order to be written. They still have another 11 days on top of the five days it's going to take to write the order to pay up before you can even get to the sheriff.
0: What you're saying so, though is that. If they decide that they're not paying anymore, because a lot of people do do that at certain points for any number of reasons, if they have decided that and you don't do it on the set, or let's say you do, almost certainly you're going to lose one month of rent, at least.
1: The process is very long. That's why I always recommend get that at N4 on the second day because it is a long process. Even after you get the application, you're still waiting for a hearing date. They're fairly quick and Whitby. But, yes, you're definitely going to be moving into the second month of no rent if you sit on it.
0: So on the answer is no, no grace period. Day two. No grace
1: period.
2: Agreed. No. <laughs> okay, so we'll get into the next one then. Kate is asking, what can you do about tenants who are dirty and essentially ruining your, your asset by not maintaining anything? So they're ruining your uh, your rental unit.
1: So section 33 of the RTA requires that a tenant has to be responsible for ordinary cleanliness. You can't tell a tenant how to live in their house. So some people are cleaner than others and, and some people are just live dirty. Um, you can't tell them that that's not acceptable, but if they are damaging your assets, for example, the floor or, and big one is dogs and, and their claws on the hardwood floors, the tenant's responsible for that damage as a landlord, you have a remedy to file as the landlord and tenant board to get a compensation for those damages. And also, too, if people are living in a house that's not maintained, you have a bug issue, a pest issue, and that becomes the problem with our health and safe- safety. And as a landlord, we talked about, you have to be responsible for that health and safety standards that have to be met. So you can't go after a tenant for not looking after, the, like, just not being clean, but you can you do have a remedy to bring a tenant to the board based on damage or a health and safety issue that's not the direct attack at the tenant living not in a great state, but it's definitely a, a remedy that you can get to that
0: so let's say you go in for an inspection and you see that okay, yeah, so their kids have ruined the floor when along with their dog and them moving furniture all around. They've destroyed your, your hardwood floor. So you notice that, and they're not moving out. You know, There's no plans of that. What what actions would you take from that point?
1: You can file to the board uh, an application that tells the tenant that you've noticed that there's damage to the floor, that they need to fix it, or that you're going to be fixing it and they need to pay for it. And you can go to the board and get an order for those, for the money that it's going to cost you to fix that. So you'd come in with three estimates to have it fixed and you can go fix it and the tenant's responsible for that damage.
0: So, but that all has to go through the board. You you wouldn't try and get that done, like send them the forms. And if they took care of it, then just.
1: They have the opportunity to take care of it as well. They, they're, they're supposed to communicate to you what choice they'll be making. Um, but if the tenant leaves, and then you discover that the floors are damaged. That's when it becomes a small claims issue, and the, the landlord-tenant board do not have jurisdiction any longer.
0: Mm. I see. All right. Okay. I well, recommend
1: people. I recommend people do inspections twice a year, just to keep on top of that damage, and so that mm. they do know where their unit is at in state of damage, and, and encourage the tenant to fix it.
0: Yeah, and some people I know even encourage uh, like a, a seasonal inspection.
1: Yeah, it's not uncommon for a landlord to come in in the fall and change the filters, and come in in the spring and change the filters uh, for houses, or even um, just to do an inspection and check the light bulbs or the smoke alarms, and which are all mandated by bylaws. So they're responsible for checking those and making sure they're working.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, our next question is from Frank, and he says, "Why are you not allowed to evict for smoking or pets?" if it's in your lease
1: it is a very two different animals so smoking is one and pets are the other so i'm going to deal with them each separately uh smoking you can actually evict for people smoking in your unit as long as it's in your lease that it's prohibited you can take a tenant to the board based on the fact that they're smoking in the unit you won't get an eviction based on that it's very rare. Um, unless there is an, a health issue, so if you advertise that there's no smoking in the a duplex, for example, that you need a non smoker because the other tenant has a health issue, then that becomes a problem, and you have a responsibility to the other tenant for to their health, and you can take the first tenant who is smoking in their unit to the board and they need to stop there's different forms that you can be used and give them warnings, and if they are if they continue doing it, they will be evicted for doing that. So you are allowed to evict a tenant for smoking, um, as long as it's in the lease. Let's Regarding stay on the smoking tenant,
0: there just for a se- one more second. Okay. So you said as long as there's a health issue, but let's say I live upstairs. I don't have any health issues, but I've got a couple of small kids, and you know, and and the smoke's just pouring up from the bottom section of the duplex.
1: Again, you can take them. If it if it's does in their lease that they're not to be smoking, you can definitely take them to the board and ask them to stop smoking there is as I said forms and notices you can give them prior to taking them to the board where they say you're asking them to stop and if they continue then you can take them to the board and have the board order them to stop Um, if this continues you will eventually get an eviction order based on that if it specifically says they can't smoke they're not to smoke
0: Okay, I'm just curious have you run into anywhere it was not a health issue but it was more just the, the general enjoyment of the unit I
1: have. Um, it, we ended up in mediation and the tenant agreed to stop smoking, to just smoke outside. And as far as I have heard from the landlord, that has been what's happening.
0: Okay. Uh, now we were going to talk about the pets too. Sorry. I wanted to just clear up that kid thing because that's more, uh, I would say that's a little more common than even, you know, somebody with a health issue on the upper unit.
1: Right, and even like in Durham, they've just now introduced a no-smoking bylaw in all the parks. It's, it's, a, it's a social norm now that smoking around kids is not acceptable in cars or in parks or anything. So it's not any looked at any differently in the Landlord and Tenant Board with smoking in kids.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So pets, yes, it's very much different. It, the RTA specifically speaks to pets where they don't speak to smoking. So Section 14 states, that any clause with respect to pets is void. So You cannot put in your lease anything saying if you have a pet, you're evicted or anything. It's just completely void. The RTA says that you just can't do it. Now, what you can do is you can deny an application based on them having pets, but you cannot evict them for the sole purpose that they have a pet. What often comes up is the reasonable enjoyment argument that other tenants or neighbors or such don't like the dog barking, and that becomes an unreasonable enjoyment interference of other people around, and the tenant, the landlord will take the tenant to the board based on that, Um, or a damage issue, as we were talking about with the hardwood floors and their claws and such, or cats and screams, all that, different aspects of damage, but specifically to evict a tenant for having a pet, you just cannot do. Okay,
2: great. So, next question comes from Merrill. Merrill asks, "What type of documentations do you need to keep for paper trails, recording, and others to support your side when dealing with problem tenants in the landlord tenant board?"
1: So, the new forms that came out in April first are very detailed, oriented in the in the sense that they want dates and descriptions of events. That's big. So, first off, you the notices have to be the board's notices. They don't like any other type of notices. And the details within the notices and the applications are dates and exactly what happened. So just keep a a log of what's happened. So for example, a dog barking, we were just talking about that. Um, A landlord does not live at the unit, has three different tenants in the unit, and one has a dog. So uh, unit one, two, and three tenant one or unit one has a dog and tenant two on July 1st complains about the dog barking to the landlord. So he'd keep the date and who complained. Then on July 2nd, tenant three or unit three complained about the dog barking. They would keep that date and the details of what the tenant said. Uh, Paper trails, if they texted, if you can keep a copy of that text, that's great. Often tenant in unit two and tenant unit three doesn't want to be part of the board hearing so the landlord would have to testify to receive any other complaints. Um, details, details, details. They like the more details you have for the landlord and tenant board, the happier they are. And keep copies of everything too. So if you give a notice, keep a copy. As soon as you give a notice, um, do a certificate of service, which often accompanies the application for the landlord and tenant board.
2: It's a lot yeah. of work, eh, Rob? Don't you think they should just hire a property manager to <laughs> take care of this stuff
0: yeah Um, actually property
1: manager can't take care of this stuff actually
0: yeah that's
1: right (laughs) you just have it with you at the board so if there's any questions or if you testify to something and you have backup documentation to request it you have it at your fingertips
0: so we have Darren with the question if you have a lease and you decide to sell the house how do you remove the tenants
1: the quick answer is you cannot remove the tenant. You have to sell the house with the tenant. If the purchaser wishes to use the the unit for their own personal use, then we would go through the process of getting the purchaser to sign an affidavit and serving the current tenant with a notice saying that the purchaser is going to be using it for personal use. If the person who would be purchasing the property is like one of yourselves who wishes to have the tenant because they're uh, a good tenant, Then the purchase sale agreement would reflect that the current the new owner would take over that. You there is nothing that you can do just to evict a tenant before selling the house. It has to be one of the reasons, which basically comes down to arrears or behavior on their part, or personally used repairs or demolition on the landlord's part.
0: Okay, but uh, what about what about this? Uh, Yeah, I'm going to move in there.
1: (laughs) Okay. the purchaser or is he yeah. the, owner?
0: the the new the new person like i mean what what about the idea of i know i know a lot of people do do this but what are maybe some of the ramifications or what are some of the issues that come up with people that kind of put it out there that they're going to move into the property but that's not really their intention just to get the tenants out
1: Well, the new purchaser would have to sign an affidavit swearing that they are moving in there and it is going to be used for their personal use. So if they're okay signing an an affidavit that's untrue, all the more to them, they still have to go to the board and and convince an adjudicator that that's what they're going to be doing. If the adjudicator then becomes convinced, then you get your order for eviction um, based on a personal use. But the tenants usually see through it. They usually know something's up. If it's from talking to the purchaser when they went through the unit. I, I had one where the purchaser signed an affidavit saying that they were going to live there, but they told the tenant they were demol- demoing the entire building. Uh-huh. So the tenant usually catches on and the tenant will keep an eye on what's going on. And as I said earlier, they, they have an ability to go back to the board and get an application for eviction on bad faith. And the Landlord and Tenant Board has the ability to award to the tenant Difference in rent for a year, all moving costs, and then I've also seen an adjudicator fine the landlord up to ten. They can go up to twenty five thousand, but I've seen a land, an adjudicator fine a landlord ten thousand dollars.
0: Really? Wow. So,
1: yeah. So, so, so that might not
0: be such a good idea. But now, right. now that being said, you did say that in that in that specific case that the person mentioned that they were going to demo the building, and I, I'm like, you can get tenants to move out for major renovations.
1: Correct. I think it was a time frame. I think it's the difference was 60 or 90.
0: Right. So okay. Bigger. I see.
1: I, I'm, don't hold me to that, but I'm pretty sure that was the issue there.
0: And so if you are going to sell the house, let's say you have plans to do major renovations. I, I'm I'm running into this right now. So I've got one in September coming up that, um, that I'm going to buy and we need to get the tenants out to do major renovations. I basically want to rip the whole house apart and... And, you know, flip it. So if if I was going to do something like that, let's just walk through that because they would have the right of first refusal once it was done. Let's say for some crazy reason they haven't moved on and they do decide that, hey, I want to come back and I want to live there. And I don't care if you're trying to sell it. In the meantime, uh, I've been at my mom's for two months and I want to move back until it sells. What uh, is that? Is that something that they would be able to do?
1: Yes, they do have a first right to refusal on major renovations. Obviously, if it's demolished or something, they have to move back to. But yes, they can definitely give you. They have to give you a written first right of refusal before they leave the unit.
0: They would be responsible for giving that to you. You wouldn't have to go seek them out and say, "I'm done my rentals now. You can move back if you if you want to."
1: Well, they also have to ensure that they give you a, a current address that you can notify them when the, the renovations are done.
0: Are you responsible That's for notifying them of those renovations no, are done?
1: RTA, you are responsible for notifying them and the RTA specifically makes them responsible for notifying you where they're living. Okay. It seems to be a gray area. A lot of people just move on. I'm dealing with a matter right now and along the same lines and Um, For example, the whole question came up to me recently about, well, can I change the square footage of the unit they're coming back to? I haven't been able to find any case law stating if it has to be the exact same square footage. Obviously, they're moving back into, say, a one to three bedroom that has to stay one to three bedrooms. But to the case law indicating what has to be given back to the tenant under those circumstances is very, very gray. We can't seem to find a definite answer. It seems very subjective. Mm -hmm.
0: Right. Okay. Yeah, because I mean, then again, if you have went in and fully renovated the house, and it's not even really the same place, there's not a comparison between what they moved out of and what they're moving back to. I don't really know exactly, but I think you have to give it to them for the same amount as, as what they left um, yes, paying.
1: You can. you can only, you can only give them the um, guideline increases, the rent increase. So if they're paying $400 for two bedrooms, they've lived there for 30 years, you have to give it back to them. Four hundred dollars plus your your acceptable rent increase amount.
0: So that would be something interesting to look into is whether or not with those substantial renovations, whether it is the same unit by definition. I don't know if there would be something there that you could look into, maybe. But you know, that's it'd just be the same
1: <laughs> unit with upgrade, right? So it would be obviously an upgraded unit. So they're going to get probably a very nice unit for four hundred dollars, but. You also have the remedy of going after above-guideline rent increase for capital expenditures,
0: mm-hmm. which is a whole new topic. Oh, there we go. Mm, right. <laughs> That's a remedy. And then if it's after, what is the what is the date where you don't have to follow the guideline? There is actually a specific date where if the house was built after, what is it 91?
1: Don't know off the top of my head. My reaction was 94, but yeah, you're in the right ballpark.
0: Okay, yeah, so if you want to increase your rents more than the guidelines, take a look at when your place is built and you don't have to...
1: encourage the landlords to build more opportunity for tenant rentals because uh, developers were building houses because they knew they could could sell it and get the money right back away. But if for tenants they put money in and they they set a a rent increase and then they need, or sorry, they set a rent amount and then they had expenditures after the fact... Jumping through hoops to get those expenditures approved was very difficult, and it wasn't a risk a lot of developers were willing to take. So the government changed it so that they would encourage the, the developers to make more rental units. I know one of the one thing it has to be is that it has to be used as a rental unit from the day it was built. It can't be used as a residence.
0: Oh, that's interesting.
2: Yeah, I remember mm-hmm. uh, hearing that too. That's a that's a pretty key point.
1: Yeah, it's not something I run across all the time, but yeah.
2: Alright, so the next one's um, actually th- reading this question reminds me that a lot of some of these answers are strictly for Ontario, right? There can be some differences as you go across the different provinces. Correct. So, so Dion's asking here: L- landlords in other provinces collect security deposits. Um, why can't we here in Ontario? And he goes on and says, could we tell a prospective tenant that another prospective tenant has offered a security deposit and? they are welcome to offer one as well, but we are not requesting it. (laughs) Wink, wink.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You can make agreements with tenants, whatever you wish. I mean, there is case law where one tenant prepaid a year of their rent, and then it was an agreement, and then it went after back about illegal security deposit. But they found that the tenant offered it and volunteered it, so it was perfectly acceptable. You can make any, even in mediation at the Landlord and Tenant Board, you can make any agreements you want with the tenant. The only problem is if you know it's going against the RTA and they want you to make a big issue of it after the fact, they have the ability to do that. Um, so you can ask for a deposit and they can agree to give the deposit. Now, we do talk about savvy tenants all the time. And if you do have a savvy tenant, then I wouldn't be surprised if they would agree to pay the security deposit, get the unit, get the key, and then say, no, that's illegal, give it back. But they wanted the unit, so they got it. They know that they have the remedy to ask for it back immediately after they move in.
0: I know, it was crazy. I was talking to um, someone who was moving out of the house next door to me, Was is a rental, and um, they were saying that the place where they were moving to was asking people for two months' damage deposit.
1: Section one oh five, it says that you can only ask for an equivalent of one month's rent as a security deposit, and that one month one month's rent has to be used as a last month's rent. Right.
0: right. So what happens if you determine that it so you can use that as a security deposit towards damages? Ask,
1: no, not to not towards damages. It specifically states that you can only ask for the same a rent is a thousand dollars. I can, you can, as a landlord, you can ask me for a thousand dollars deposit, but that thousand dollars can only be used to the last month that I'm there in that unit. I see. No other.
0: Yeah. Oh, I already knew that. It's just that you were, okay, you were wording it as a, a little bit differently. So I didn't understand. So, so yeah, you have to use it specifically for the last month's rent. It can't be used for any kind of a security deposit. uh, I mean, or, or damage deposit, I guess.
1: No it can be to give damage deposit
0: at all. Then again, like you said, they can request whatever they want. I suppose that would be the best way to go about it if you were going to rent in something like that and they asked for two months damage, uh, damage deposit like this place was that you could move in and then ask for it right back. Right. So that there-
1: happens a lot too with tenants with uh, post dated checks. The landlord saying, Well, I really want post dated checks, the tenant will give you a year post dated checks. And then a month after living there, they request them all back, and it's, the landlord's obligated to give them back. But the tenant secured the unit.
0: Just out of curiosity, do you happen to know what the reasoning is behind that at all, or is there any kind of statement for why why that is?
1: I mean, the government. I mean, to be quite honest, the government creates policies that a lot of us don't understand half the time. <laughs> yeah, but again, like you. You can put this in. Um, You have to remember that any agreement between the landlord and tenant is acceptable. So sometimes for the tenant, giving a landlord post-dated checks, I mean, I'm a renter and giving the the landlord post-dated checks was a lot easier for me than paying the bank fees to send an e-transfer or running to her bank to deposit the money after Mm -hmm. taking it out of my bank. So, I mean, an agreement between the landlord and tenant and post-dated checks makes sense. It's easier for the landlord just so every month just go and deposit the check and the tenant doesn't have to worry they just know that the, the money is going to come out in the first of the month
2: that's right because it's their responsibility the tenant's responsibility to to pay right not the landlord's to collect
1: correct and so as a tenant it's, it's a lot easier if the, if the landlord already has the check yeah for sure so i mean it's not uncommon that tenants often give posted a text because it benefits them as much as it does the landlord.
0: Drew asked the next question, that is, under what circumstances can a tenant who is in a one-year lease terminate the lease before the end of the uh, contract?
1: They can give 60 days notice. They're not supposed to do that. A lease, a term within a lease is meant to protect the tenant. Letting the tenant know that the landlord cannot evict them for personal use, renovation, demolition, demolition et cetera, um, that for that one year, and that they're secure living there for one year. And then on the flip side, the landlord knows that the tenant is supposed to stay there for one year and that they have a tenant for a year. But, I mean, it does happen that a tenant will end the, of the lease early, especially within a term. They are, by contract, responsible for the rest of that contract, that one year. But the Landlord and Tenant Board in Section 16 specifically states that when a landlord and tenant becomes liable to pay any amount as a result of a breach of a tenancy agreement, that person is entitled to claim the amount, has a duty to take reasonable steps to minimize the person's losses. So basically, this is saying that if I give my landlord two months notice within a term, they the landlord has a responsibility to try to re-rent that unit. If it takes them three months to re-rent the unit, then the landlord's entitled to three months' rent.
0: Is that if
1: it takes them-
0: is that on a lease term as well as like because I understand that on a rental term, but even is that under a lease term? Because I would I was under the impression that that was the responsibility of the tenant then to find a replacement to be approved it by the landlord. On both,
1: both of them. They both have an obligation. The landlord cannot just sit there and let the unit sit idly empty for six months and then take them to small claims court. They won't get the six months. Mm -hmm. They'll be asked, and even in in common law case law for small claims court, because often this does happen in small claims court, um, they'll be asked to prove what they did to re-rent the unit. I have, I've been uh, through this in small claims previously, and the judge is very quick to say, "Show me your expenses. How much did it charge you? How much did it cost you to advertise?" The tenant's responsible for that. Um, how long did it take you? If they say four months, what took you so long? Well, you know, it was um, the beginning of the summer. The students had left or whatever reason. So it's a very subjective time frame because you are dealing with small claims court versus a landlord and a tenant board. Um, but yes, both parties are responsible. The, the tenant is it has the ability to assign the lease or sublet. They need the approval of the landlord to do either or. The landlord cannot reasonably withhold authority to do that, and if they do hold, like withhold the um, a tenant allowed to sublet or assign, the tenant can terminate the lease without any repercussions. So they can, the tenant can take on the ability to sublet or assign, but the landlord has to approve it. And if they don't, the tenant can end the lease without any damages.
0: And here's my thoughts on that. Do you really? Okay, so they've given you sixty days' notice. They have to. I mean, if they don't, then you can, you can take that up with them as, um, through the landlord tenant board, but that's just standard. Even if there is no lease, in my opinion, I don't want those people who don't want to be in my unit living there anymore. Why would I want to hold somebody against their will? Basically, if they don't know the the rules and the laws and all that kind of stuff and they think that they can't move out just because I say, no, you have a lease, but they're miserable and they're hard to get along with and they start to neglect uh, the property and you know it just becomes a nightmare. So if somebody wants out, 60 days notice is more than enough for you to get it rented out again and you should just let them go. That's my opinion anyway. Let them go find someone else who's going to be happy in there.
1: I agree with you. I always encourage all my landlords to not actually put terms within their leases and to rent month to month because situations do change. For a landlord, if they have a term and their mother needs a place to live, they can't give that house to their mother because it's in the term. So I always encourage month to month rentals and no terms within leases. I I completely agree with you. I agree with that. Yeah, that makes sense yeah I also have conversations quite often with landlords about damages um I have several cases where the damages from tenants leaving um range from fifteen to twenty five thousand dollars I'm sure there's more, but I don't, you know, higher than 25, but I don't deal with them. Where, like, tenants have, like, put holes in doors, put rocks down plumbing where the whole plumbing has to be replaced. Mm. It's ridiculous because they're angry. So I completely agree with you. There's no reason if they do give 60 days notice to sign an N11 where you both agree to end the tenancy and you go your separate ways. And that way you both know you're not coming after each other for damages. You do have ample opportunity to re-rent the unit. If at, at somebody that you want to have there... I'm um, not the tenant looking for somebody that you have to approve later on. Yes. I, I
0: completely agree. Yeah, and I love that story that Michael Dominguez told when we had him on the show, Sandy, where the tenants uh pushed all of the dog uh droppings <laughs> down the uh ductwork. Oh yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> to to
0: get rid of it. So yeah. and then they, they ended creative. Up, pardon me?
1: They're very creative tenants.
0: Yes, aren't they? Yeah, just swept it all down into the ductwork. And then when he was rearranging some of it, uh, guess what all came out?
2: Yeah, that's beautiful.
0: So, yeah. yeah. You don't
1: really want angry tenants. They can create a lot of damage. And if the tenants are on social assistance or EI, you can't. Well, locating them, for one, can be quite expensive. And two, once you locate them, half the time they're judgment-proof because they have no income worth garnishing
2: so or there even a- any asset. Is there any benefit to having a tenant on a year lease, or does it make sense to just do, uh, you know, monthly, month to month, right from the get go?
1: Yeah, I encourage month to month from the get go. Um, as a tenant, I can see the security, especially if you have children in school. Um, I personally signed a three year lease because I have children in the area and they go to school. And for me, that's a security knowing that she can't use it for personal use. She can't sell it even for personal use. If she does sell it, they, I have to go with it.
0: Right. For me as a
1: tenant that's security. As a landlord, no. I don't unless they want the security of having a tenant and knowing that their income is there, but even still, like you can find a new tenant, especially in Durham region oh, yeah. all the
2: schools and the
1: yeah. the real estate market's
2: booming. Anywhere GTA, rental, really, you can
1: Yeah. I, I completely agree. So as a landlord I don't see any I at the top of my head I can't see any benefits to putting a year term or two year term within a lease.
0: I don't do any leases. I do all month to month rentals
2: makes sense
1: yeah so let me be specific Lisa uh, I use the term specifically for a term within a lease leases never expire there's a misnomer that people think that leases expire when the term expires Um, a term may expire after a year the lease will never expire so if you have a term within a lease that ends and then the lease turns into a month-to-month lease if for our listeners, just to be clear, that a lease does not expire. People think that once the term expires, they can just give their tenant a sixty days' notice and the tenant's gone. That does not work like that. Right.
0: Yeah. It just it, it continues on as a month to month rental unless they re sign a different term.
1: Correct. Which again, I don't. I mean, the um, I actually had an interesting conversation with somebody the other day. The Ontario Real Estate Board lease. Um, somebody came across a lease where. In the in the actual lease for that the board, it had put a clause in there that said the tenant had a, an ability to renew the term as long as she gave sixty days notice before the term ended. So they wanted her out for personal use repairs demolitions I can't remember, but they had no way of evicting her because she would renew the term every year, yeah. and it was perfe- perpetual and never ended. So they can never get her out until she decides to leave
0: hmm yeah, i'm pretty good. sure i could find a way i'd be creative <laughs> i was thinking yeah
2: i had some ideas there.
0: <laughs> but uh well this has been really awesome thank you for answering all of our questions and this is going to be i'm pretty sure this is going to be one of the more popular episodes that we've done for sure well
1: thank you so much for having me It was a lot of fun
2: I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just direct a lot of uh, clients to it instead of trying to answer all these questions myself because this is definitely uh, definitely a lot of good information here and probably a lot more correct than what I would try and give. <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, thank you. It was, it was an honor to do the podcast with you. Um, it was a lot of fun.
0: Oh, thank you. So how can people get in touch with you? Because I'm sure that's what everybody wants to know now. I, I know a lot of people have issues and they they need to get in touch with you. So where what should they do?
1: My office is at in Whippy. It's at Dixon and Taunton. I have a website, com. They can email me at Van S U Z A N N E at Bellumlegal.com. Bellum is spelled B-E-L-L-U-M-L-E-G-A-L. Or they can just call me at 905 809 1887. More than happy to take their phone calls. I do offer half an hour free consultation. So people who just sometimes need a direction or a point in the right direction or just need to figure out what their strategies are, I'm more than happy to sit down with them.
0: Okay. And again, people, don't worry about writing all of that down. If you want to find any of that information that Suzanne just said, we will have it all in the show notes. So you can just uh, click on that, and you will be able to get in touch with her from there. Oh, that was great. <laughs> Thank you so much. That was yeah, that's awesome. That was perfect.
1: Thank you so much, too.
0: Have a great night. Bye. Bye.